0: The Boss Man Show, legendary sports writer for Houston Chronicle, John McClain, writes about the Texans, Houston sports, and you can hear him on the zone. When I was a young guy, he was in, the, you know, in Nashville, and I was there on the zone, always telling Grace was about the Oilers and the Titans. So good to talk to you again, John. How's life been for you guys?
1: Life's been great. Staying safe. Still got a job. Happy to be, still happy to be working. My 45th year at the NFL, 46th year at the Houston Chronicle, and 49th year in the business, and I'm still kicking.
0: I hear that, man. Yeah, you, you always have good information for everybody about Houston. I'm actually asking you about first of all about the team. I feel like the Texans were four and twelve, but the record could have been eight and eight or even better because they was close in every game. They fought hard. So about the, the two games in Tennessee, uh, two games with Indianapolis, where they could have won those games, The games as well, Minnesota. So while they, the record was so was bad, but they wasn't bad as it, as it says, if you ask me.
1: It's hard to believe that a year ago, they were coming off a playoff victory over Buffalo. The Bills are going to the penthouse and the Texans are in the outhouse. Then they lost that 24-point lead at Kansas City in the divisional round, and everything's gone down. And this season, they played as hard a schedule as I've ever seen. Five teams that beat them are in first place. The teams that beat them finished 57 games over 500. Texans were two and eight in one score games. And if it wasn't for Deshaun Watson, who played great, he bet his best stats in every category. And that was without DeAndre Hopkins, without Will Fuller for the last five games, without Randall Cobb, his slot receiver for the last six. They might've been in line for the first pick, which of course would have gone to Miami. So Watson played great. They lost to the Titans in the last play twice. They got the Colts two-yard line in the last minute two times and lost fumbles and swept the Jaguars. So they played a first-place schedule. Now they go to a third-place schedule. So because of Watson, and have some pieces on offense, but they need an overhaul on defense, they got a chance to bounce back and uh, be competitive again.
0: You no, know, John. Um, I know a lot of blame goes to to Bill O'Brien for for his moves he made, but do you feel it's more toward than that? That some some of the draft picks wasn't that wasn't they didn't hit. Um, you know, some trades. So I feel like Billy O had a lot of, a, to do with it. But what, what do you see the blame for? How the Texans roster kind of all the holes they have right now.
1: O'Brien, in the last two years was the general manager. The first year it was without the title. He had final say over personnel. He made some good moves. He traded a backup offensive lineman for Carlos Hyde, and he ran for over a thousand yards for the first time. But then he made him a good contract offer. Hyde thought he could get more. O'Brien should have been more patient. Instead, he let him leave, and then he ended up signing with Seattle for a third of what the Texans offered. The Laramie Tunsil trade, two ones and a two for Tunsil and receiver Kenny Stills. Worked out great the first year. They won the division fourth time in five years. They won uh, the playoff game over Buffalo. And O'Brien thought it'd be a low number one pick both years. It was last year, 27th overall. This year, third overall for the Dolphins. And so they traded Hopkins. But the truth is, Watson had a great year. He had a better year than he ever had with Hopkins. And if Hopkins had been here, would he have thrown all the passes to Hop, as he always did, or would he have distributed the ball the way he did this year. But the fact is, the passing game was the strength of the offense, the only strength this team had. And their running game was terrible, and the defense was awful. And those are areas that need to be addressed by the new head coach and general manager Nick Casario.
0: Now, John, how much is this, I told Deshaun Watson about trying to protect himself? Because I feel like he takes a lot of hits that he shouldn't take, you know? He, I know he wants to send, send the plays and make plays, but sometimes he's getting hit when he shouldn't get hit.
1: A lot of those are his fault. His M.O. is to hold the ball, let his receivers get open down the field. But he also avoids a lot of sacks because he's – we call him a Houdini in the pocket. Because oh, yes. He gets away. He's got such great pocket awareness. It's not like people say a guy like Ted's got eyes in the back of his head. He's got eyes in the back of his head and on the side of his head based on some of the things he feels and is able to get away from. But despite that, despite being sacked 49 times, second most of his career, he was great. I mean, he was great from the third game on. And what really impressed me, seven interceptions, only five were his fault, one over the last 10 games and he was playing with different receivers. And no matter who they put out there, they excel because he put the ball on the money. And if they get a running game, they only need a back and a right guard. And that offense is gonna be even better next year than it was this year. This year just wasn't good enough. You know, you score 38, you expect to win. You score 36, you expect to win, especially when you're going up against playoff teams. But their defense had eight starters gone, because suspension, COVID-19, and injuries, and they wouldn't have been good with them, and they were worse without them.
0: Now, John, will Anthony Weaver stay on new staff potentially, or is he probably gone for good?
1: Anthony Weaver is a great defensive line coach. He is his first year as a defensive coordinator and play caller. We all thought he was going to do great. I've written and said I think Anthony Weaver will be a head coach. I still believe it. When Mike Vrabel was elevated coordinator one year, In 2017, they finished 4-12. But his buddy from the Patriots, John Robinson, the Titans GM, knew him well and knew you couldn't base it on that season when they had 23 players on injured reserve, including 13 starters. They hired Mike. Mike's doing a terrific job, just like it shouldn't be held against Anthony Weaver. He has talked to Urban Meyer about going to Jacksonville, coaching the defensive line. He's under contract here. They're waiting for the new head coach, whoever it is, to talk to some of these coaches like Anthony Weaver, who's terrific and a great communicator. Great quote. I couldn't can't wait till he's a head coach with all the great lines he's got. And uh, so they've got two or three good coaches, but I don't know who the new one will be. Watson wants them to keep Tim Kelly the offensive coordinator, who called plays this year for the first time and helped Deshaun set all those career bests.
0: Now, John, for is a Cooks and Fuller and and Ronald Cobb. I think Cobb's cap number is kind of high. It's $10 million there and, and Fuller's a free agent. So do you see all those guys back or Cobb maybe getting cut to save on the cap? How how you see that working out for us, Watson's weapons?
1: They want to re-sign Fuller. Fuller was having one of the best seasons in the NFL when he got suspended. I mean, he was tremendous and he and Cooks were on a pace. To be the first pair of receivers with 1,000 yards in franchise history. Cooks ended up with over 1,100, his fifth 1,000-yard season, tied Brandon Marshall to have four with, uh, let's see, five with four different teams, and he was terrific. He'll be back. Fuller will come in. He's not going to get what he would have gotten uh, before his suspension, because when a guy gets popped for PEDs once, the next time it's gonna be a lot more serious. So the contract's gotta be written to put money in, a lot of money in for per game roster bonuses, and it's got to protect them in case he gets popped again, like Brian Cushing did a second time. So with Cooks and Fuller, and I believe Cobb's gone, Kiki QT, a third rear receiver, when he got to play at the end of the year, he stepped up and was really good. They've been waiting for him to do that for three years. He made Watson some big catches down the field, and uh, I think he'll be the slot receiver. If the cap stays at 175, which is the floor, and everybody thinks it's going to be more, because even though teams didn't make the money locally, they made a lot more in TV because a lot of people watched the games since they couldn't go to the games. Mm -hmm. So right now they'd be 11 to 15 million over, and if it's anything over 175, that goes down make Casario come in here and slice and dice. Anytime new GM coach come in, players gonna lose their jobs. They won't have any trouble getting under, re-signing players like Will Fuller and a couple of free agents. They really need a big, physical, tough right guard for the running game. And he a lot of help at a lot of positions on defense.
0: Now, John, I know you're probably the source for this. Let me ask you this, Deshaun Watson, is it what's going on for real, man? Because we're here in Atlanta, we don't know what's going on. I said, I trust you to tell us the truth about really what's going on with Deshaun Watson.
1: I'll tell you exactly what's going on. Uh, all the stuff about Watson's unhappiness have come out from the anonymous sources linked to national media, and people close to Watson. That means his agent and the people around him. And he had he requested having lunch. I think it was about three weeks before the season's over with Cal McNair, the owner, who's paying him $156 million on his contract extension. And they had lunch. Watson wanted to know what's going on with the coach, the philosophy he had for hiring a coach. And he told him, he said, we're not looking specifically for an offensive or defensive. We're looking for the best coach. And Watson said, well, will you keep me up to date? He said he would. Watson told him what he thought. At the end of the year, Watson said they spoke a couple times. He told him what uh, what he thought. And when we talked to Watson last week, all he talked about was what he wanted a new head coach. Never mentioned GM. Well, when they hired Nick Casario, they did not offer the job to Omar Khan of Pittsburgh. They interviewed five coordinators. Casario interviewed with Carolina while he was here before he did his Texans interview. They interviewed five people. They had put in requests for two more, but once they, they tried to get Casario two other times in 2018 when they replaced Rick Smith, Patriots said no. 2019 when they replaced Brian Gain, Patriots said no. and filed tampering charges. So, it's out that Watson's upset and and may ask for a trade. One national media person said he might sit out the season. And I'm like, give me a bleeping. Wow. Play. If you sit out the season, you don't get credit for the year, and his big contract wouldn't kick in till 2023. He's a team guy. He's not a quitter like James Harden who quit on his team. Watson's not in his DNA. He wants to win a Super Bowl. He's got a GM who's won six and can tell him how you do it. And it starts with a great quarterback. As Nick Casario told us, he's our quarterback. And they would not trade him under any circumstances.
0: Sounds good because I feel like, you know, I said, this is crazy. I also asked, let me ask John McClellan about this. This is this is crazy because I feel like Deshaun's a perfect Texan. I mean, he's the franchise. You can't get rid of him because you didn't start from scratch again. And you don't want to do would, that. And
1: then doesn't that make sense? There was one report they're talking to Miami about two a ton of low and draft choices. Why would they want Tua? There's a story to Miami Herald yesterday. Three unnamed players don't understand why he's been given the starting job next year. He may go to the Hall of Fame, but right now, he's not in Watson's class. Watson will not be traded under any circumstances.
0: Sounds good to me. Let's talk about the Falcons, John. Um, we talked about, before we got started here, Terry Fontenot, the GM of the Falcons, uh, now uh, long-time Saint personnel man. Tell us about, still about Terry Fontenot.
1: Terry's been in that organization, I think, 14 years. He's got to know the Falcons very well from going against them two times a year, the bitter rival, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So people have been talking about Terry for quite a while. He's worked with a great coach, Sean Payton. He's worked in a great personnel department, He's had some tremendous drafts, and it's and time that he got a job. Just like Nick Casario, 20 years with the Patriots. There's a lot of really good personnel men who deserve jobs that people don't know about outside their cities because they've been behind the scenes so long. They're not allowed to talk to the media, get any publicity. And I thought the Falcons would end up hiring Rick Smith, uh, a guy who's a proven general manager, 12 years with the Texans. But I'm also really like to see a guy like Fontenot get, finally get his opportunity to come in there and take over that front office. And I think Rich McKay will be a good resource for him because he knows the league and the team, and he's been a former GM, so he knows what Fontenot will go through.
0: And I think that probably means that Matt Ryan and Julio will be be here next year because Terry sees them twice a year, and I don't think you want to blow it up quite yet. We're we're probably in in cap hell, probably we are, but Julio and Matt, if you don't get rid of them just yet, I don't think.
1: I think when those guys are out there, they always have a chance to score enough points to win. You know, they lost a lot of close games. They blew a lot of games. They need a lot of work on that defense. And I don't see Matt Ryan going anywhere. He's still playing well. Julio Jones, when he's healthy, he's great. I know they make a lot of money, but you find ways to work around it. You get young. Young means cheap in the NFL. In most cases, you get... Free agents that fit your needs, what you want on both sides of the ball. The problem the Falcons have, and Terry Fontenot and the new coach, boy, you got the Bucks, you got the Saints. Brady throwing 40 touchdowns at 43, maybe next year they only throw 38 or seven. And uh, if Drew Brees retires and goes into broadcasting for NBC, I've watched Taysom Hill. He's fine. But do we think he's ready to take over for Drew Brees? Sean Payton knows. And if Sean Payton thinks he is, that's good enough for me. But that division is so competitive.
0: Oh, yes. Yes, and you got Bridgewater for no, at least for the year in Carolina as well. And Winston as well, if you re with those guys. They have Winston as the backup to Taysom Hill. Yeah, you're right, John. The NLC South is very tough, and I, I hope the Falcons get it together, man. I, I want us to win again since we came to your city and blew that lead, man. has not been the same since.
1: <laughs> and I feel terrible about that. You know, you don't see many guys that coach in the Super Bowl head coaching jobs. Kyle Shanahan did. And I know at the end of that game, Kyle had some decision-making that hurt in the comeback. And he's gone. He's done a great job. San Francisco and I don't know do the Falcons looking for another offensive coach like that usually you fire Dan Quinn and you don't bring back Raheem Morris you're going offensive and uh because that's just the way it usually is so I'm eager to see who Terry Fontenot will go with will there be somebody he knows with the Saints will there be somebody that he has worked with with the Saints who's gone on to somewhere else because when you spend 14 years in an organization, you see a lot of guys come and go. He knows the league well. So I know everybody there is pumped to see who he's going to be working with. And I'll say this about the Falcons. People always ask, well, what's the best, the best job? It's gotta be, it's gotta be uh the Jaguars, number one pick, multiple first round picks for two years, a lot of cap money. And I say this since Shad Khan's been the owner, they've been the worst record in the league. Yes. They almost went to the Super Bowl in 2017. And since then, players have bailed on them like crazy. Didn't want to play there. Didn't get paid. They did a terrible job. So now, do we think all of a sudden they're going to turn it around? Even if Urban Meyer is successful, who's to say the players aren't going to want to bail on him too? Doug Marone wasn't the problem. The owner of Shad Khan was the problem. Then you look at the Jets. Who would want to go there if you had a chance to go to Atlanta? Arthur Blanks like the owner in Houston. They, they give them the resources. They hire people they think will do the job. They don't tell them what to do. And if they don't do the job, they're not afraid to fire them. And that's a good owner. A general manager and a coach want to work for owners like that. Give you the money, you keep them abreast of what's going on and they give you a chance to succeed or fail. That's why I think Atlanta and Houston are really good opportunities because of stability and ownership and the way those two owners operate.
0: Yeah, I would want to us Detroit, Philadelphia right now, the Jets or the Jaguars, as you said. And that lot J project that Sean Conway kind of wanted to to do around the stadium there, it it fell through as well.
1: It did. Now a lot of people say the Chargers because of Justin Herbert, and I say yep, he's a great young quarterback. They got receivers. Couple good defensive players, but they will never sell out a game unless the other team does because nobody cares about them. They only care about the Rams. And if you like high taxes, uh, uh, unbelievable bad traffic, and and you got to worry about wildfires, sure that's a great job. But the talent sometimes is more than just the talent. It's the owner. It's the people in place. Does the owner have patience? You know, I, Anthony Lynn had a, won his last four games to finish seven and nine and still got fired. I'd be very leery about that job when you win four in a row and you go seven and nine and you have all the injuries they did and you still get fired. But that's the way they operate.
0: Now John, let's talk about the Rockets here. I know you're in Houston, man. James Harden. What 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 was I saw that article from Tim McMahon about what, how he pretty much had the organization hostage. But how was it on the ground there in Houston? Knowing seeing, seeing what he was doing, watching the team kind of just go through it while he's out there quitting on, on everybody.
1: He quit on his team. He quit on his teammates. He quit on the fans. And James uh, was always a great player. He was great in the regular season. Sometimes he was great in the postseason. Sometimes he wasn't. There were reports that he's out at strip clubs the night before the games. He never addressed things. He was a very private person. And uh, so after the last year's playoffs, they lost to the Lakers. There's no shame in losing the Lakers. They won one and lost four. But yet people got very upset. They started having problems immediately. Mike D'Antoni, very popular coach. He left, wasn't invited back. Daryl Morey, the GM, who had traded away like every first-round pick through 2050. He left for Philadelphia. They give Stephen Silas, a bright young assistant coach, a chance to be a head coach for the first time. They elevate a guy in the organization, Raphael Stone, and they tell them, okay, what can you do? So everybody knew Harden wanted to be traded. He was getting ripped here unmercifully by the columnists, at the Chronicle talk show host just killing him. He comes in late. He is out of shape. He looks like he should be playing tight end for the Texans. He uh, is overweight, and he doesn't play worth the darn. In the last four games, he couldn't score 20 points. He used to he'd scored 20 in the first half for sure. So if there had been sellout crowds, they were to boot him. Then after the game uh, last night, he did an media Zoom in which he ripped the team, said it's not fixable, which is a shot at your teammate's and your coach took some other shots at him, and said bye and left and then got traded the next day. Obviously, they had that trade ready to go for whenever the, the uh, Rockets wanted to pull the trigger, four first-round picks, four swaps of first-round picks, three players, inc- including Victor Oladipo, who's going to be gone in another trade, and they're trying to restock their draft choices in the first round, so they're going to be bad. We know it. But it had to happen. He wanted to go to Brooklyn. That's where they traded him. More power to him. I hope he does great. He uh, had a lot of fun watching James Harden and the Rockets. He ran the team. He wanted Chris Paul. They paid Jerry to get him. He had wanted Dwight Howard. He wanted him gone. They did. He wanted Paul gone. He wanted Russell Westbrook. They got him. Then he wanted Westbrook gone. And when Westbrook left, he wanted John Wall to get Wall. And he decides he wants out. So you can understand why people here are very uh, disenchanted with James Harden. I wish that the first time he comes back with the Nets, that the place would be sold out. They'd be scalping tickets. They'd be like a Super Bowl ticket. They'd be so expensive to see Harden come back to boo him. And that's too bad because you hate it to end like that because there were so many great times Mm -hmm. with James Harden.
0: Yeah, and also my friend, uh, Robert Covington, I, I would school with him at Tennessee State University. My friend, Robert Covington, you know, he, he never would tell me, like he'll, he'll tell me bits, bits little stuff here and there, but not the real what went on with James Harden. I'm like, man, you can tell me. I won't say it on the radio. But, yeah, Rob was shocked to get traded to the Trailblazers as well. He thought he'd be, be, be and he was teaching for a while. Thought he, he had a place there.
1: They got a number one pick for him. That's what they were trying to do. Covington did a really good job. When he was acquired to come back here for a second time, he helped them get to the playoffs and get to the second round. But they're trying to rebuild. I think they knew all along they were going to trade harden, So they're just trying to restock the draft, which Darryl Morey had traded away pigs for years. And uh, I, I, uh, Covington's a lot better off playing for the Trailblazers than he is the Rockets.
0: You got there, right, John, and I feel bad for Silas because, you know, I have it here in Atlanta with Lloyd Pierce, who the pretenders was rebuilding, and Lloyd's in his last guarantee of his contract with McMillan on the bench. So I've told people, I said it's out loud, John, no, no hiding it, that, hey, if the Hawks don't play a certain way this year and the record's not good, he's going to be fired for Nate McMillan, who's, who's on the roster. Because when Greg Foster went to Indiana, the organization chose McMillan, not Lloyd Pierce.
1: Well, here they did a long search. They interviewed a lot of people. They knew Silas very well, he's 47. His dad, of course, Paul Silas, and he grew up in basketball. And so far, even though their record is terrible, people here really like him. He's a class act, just like Mike D'Antoni was. People understand the limitations of what he's got, the problems he inherited with hardened COVID-19, the protocols, and he's gonna get a chance. I think the owner is going to be very patient with him, and based on everything I've heard behind the scenes from people that cover them, they like him and they respect him, and the players like and respect him. And I think he'll be here for a while.
0: That's what where I got, John. Tell me, is uh, what, what was your quarantine hobby? My was playing the guitar. I learned how to do that. This this doing the quarantine. What was your hobby as we was all I locked in earlier this year?
1: I read a lot of books, not sports and i binge watch on tv unfortunately my hobby became eating and i was <laughs> and it's hard not to do i'd be glad when we could get back out like we always did but uh, i've got i love reading books that sports books get away from sports it's kind of like an escape and i like to i love sports on tv but a lot, i watch a lot of other things to help me get away from sports because sports is a 24-7 proposition in the in the era of the internet you know it used to be as a sports writer you write it or read it today you tweet it or read it and it's and you can't have to be on your toes every minute i had to give up golf when the internet came out because i couldn't keep my phone on on the golf course worried every second about something with the texans going on and people playing golf, they didn't want to hear my phone ring. So I put my sticks up and haven't played golf in years. Hope to pick it up again someday when I retire. Well,
0: hopefully there's no, no time soon because you do a great job. And I love your work. Yeah, I, like I told you before, man, I've been listening to you for years. I'm, I'm 33 years old. So I've listened listening to you Thank since you. I was a kid with my dad. So you, you developed to good one want the best, man. Well,
1: I appreciate that very much. I love talking about sports, writing about sports, tweeting about sports. It's been a privilege to do it all these years. I was thinking about this playoff game this weekend with NFC, with Brady, uh, Breeze and Rodgers, and what a privilege it's been to cover them in this unprecedented era for passing, Matt Ryan being one of them. There's never been an era like this that they threw the football as well as they do. And that starts in high school with seven on seven, and colleges, of course, went turned to the past. It has made the game more exciting, but I have so much respect for quarterbacks, not only who are good, but durable and last a long time, like Brady and Breeze. And Rogers says he wants to play into his 40s. Roethlisberger says he wants to play into his 40s. And I hope they do. But I also love, love these young guys like Watson, Mahomes, Jackson, uh, Josh Allen, and Baker Mayfield.
0: Now, John, I'll tell you this real quick, you know, I was at my mom's house in Nashville and I saw the vote yes sign for the for the Titans. And I happened to send this picture to Kevin Dyson and I said, Man, you remember this? I said, because I've been going to TSU see them at training camp as like a 10, 11-year-old talking to Chris Sanders, Jeff Fisher, as a young kid. Now, now all these guys, I talk to them like, like, like it's all good. <laughs> my mom was like, John, she's like, you know, you was a kid when they came to Nashville. I, I remember. You know, <laughs> I talked to now. I could text Kevin Dyson, who did the miracle. When I was 12 years old, he did the miracle. You know, so it's like, it's just amazing how it's been 21 years since the Michigan Miracle, when they beat the Buffalo Bills up there at Delphicott. So you see them what what's called it
1: back then? I've been to two monumental Buffalo playoff games. The Choke, January 3rd, 1993, Orchard Park, New York. Oilers blow the biggest lead in history, 35-3, to three, lose 41-38 in overtime. I was in Nashville. I was in a, in a booth with three executives who were with the Oilers when they choked that lead, and I told them when the Bills' Steve Christie kicked a field goal, and I said, guys, you left too much time on the clock. You got, I said, the the Oilers are losers. They always have been, and they always will be. And then all of a sudden, they pull off the Music City Miracle, and everybody in that booth jumping up and down, screaming and hugging. One of them almost broke my ribs because they had suffered through the choke, and then to pull that thing off the way they did and with Kevin Dyson, who now I think is a principal at a school there.
0: Up in Williamson County.
1: It was just an unbelievable experience. That was as close – it was 99, and the Oilers moved up there in 97. So a lot of people in that organization, a lot of players, Bruce Matthews, Steve McNair, Eddie Joyers, Frank Wycheck played here. And so I was happy for them. And that's the closest I've ever come to actually covering – a playoff team I've never done I mean a Super Bowl team I've never done it here before I'm done I'd like to see the Texans win a Super Bowl so I could write about it and I've always I felt the last three years as long as Watson is healthy they got a chance to beat anybody anywhere and even though they're 4-12 and 12, I still believe it because he is that good.
0: Oh, yeah, and John, I'll tell you before you go. Like, you know, it was funny. You know, my mom's in Nashville, so my dad was in, in Atlanta. So I got to see that Super Bowl with the Titans, came at one yard short in Atlanta with my dad. And I was like, so my parents would bless me with being around sports my whole life, you know, having one in Nashville, one in Atlanta, but my mom never had sports. And the, the, the Predators came, the Titans came. So Nashville wasn't the sports city when I was growing up, of course, so the Titans showed up there. So for me, man, it's amazing to have been in two cities split where my parents do got a divorce, but I got the Falcons. And the Titans and the Hawks, all that with the footballs for each other. So we to go see with both my parents who are still love sports since they, My dad's 80 years old, still loves the Falcons.
1: Well, I hope for your dad's sake that they get another chance to get in the Super Bowl and they don't blow this one. You
0: got that right, John. Hey, thank you for your time as always. You're always a pleasure to talk to you. You're the best. So thanks so much for again.
1: It's my pleasure. Anytime you tell your dad I said hello and good luck to the Falcons.
0: I sure will. You tell you, be safe now. Bye now.